Today's episode of Two Man Advantage is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla, for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn, or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to twoman.robinhood.com. That's twoman.robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not an investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield, APY, on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside here in another edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast, and Pierre Lebrun, let's start with the news of the day. Confirm or deny that Harry and Meghan will be moving into your newly renovated house in Toronto. Is that true? I I read that in the <laughs> Royal Watcher blog. Is, is that going to happen? As long as the royal family pays for my rental bills, I'd be all for it. I'd give up my home office. Well, I hope they would pick up your security costs, which I know are enormous, given that. <laughs> all right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All, all, all royal kidding aside, I, I thought we could kick around the whole royal thing. But as usual, in this NHL season, Pierre, we cannot turn around with without being overtaken by news. And, and frankly, had we taped this podcast any earlier today... We would have behind would, we would have been behind the news, shocking news, I think it's fair to say, uh, that the Vegas Golden Knights had fired head coach Gerard Gallant and replaced him with another former Florida head coach and recently uh, dismissed in San Jose, Pete DeBoer. Um, this comes on the heels of the Golden Knights loss in Buffalo, and in fact, I had actually written down in my list of things that I wanted to to talk to you today uh, on the podcast. I had Vegas, who are currently sitting outside the playoff bubble in the admittedly weak Pacific Division, but I I did not, I didn't just didn't see this coming at all, and I'm, I'm wondering what your thoughts are. Yeah, I'm pretty shocked. I mean, it's funny, I was watching the Vegas-Buffalo game uh, last night, uh, and, and I, I just remember thinking, man, the pressure must be mounting in that organization right now because, you know, they have underperformed. I mean, people really had them winning that division running away this year, including myself. But never in my wildest dreams would I have predicted that Gerald Gallant was the solution. Firing Gerald Gallant was the solution, to be quite honest. I thought some kind of trade. I really felt the pressure was more on Kelly McCrimmon to shake up his team with some kind of trade. Um, and obviously that was an option one and 
you know, this is a tough one because Pete DeBoer is a hell of a coach. So you can't sit there and say they didn't just hire a hell of a coach. They did. I mean, Pete DeBoer is a serial winner. But I think it's premature to pull the plug on Gerald Gallant. I mean, the guy brought your team to the Stanley Cup final in an expansion year. You know, made the playoffs in his second year of an expansion team's existence. And yeah, they've underperformed this year, but, you know, you and I aren't exactly advanced uh, advanced stats uh, experts, but it's not hard to know that when you're 28th, as, as they are right now in PDO, that any form of regression the rest of the way, the Golden Knights sh- uh, should be winning more games. If their shooting percentage improves and they get more saves and... Uh, I, 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 this one doesn't sit well with me because I also think that Gerald Gallant is immensely popular with the players in that room. Um, and, you, you know, the only thing I can think of, and again, this just happened as we're taping this, so I haven't had the chance to make calls into Vegas, but, you know, as part of this, you know, had the Golden Knights not had a good playoff or even missed the playoff that maybe they would have made this change in the summer and would Pete DeBoer still be available then? I don't know how much of a part of it that would have been, but I got to tell you, I mean, listen, they, they, they fired a great coach and hired another one. I just don't know that coaching was the issue. In fact, I know it wasn't in my opinion, my humble opinion. And Step right up. I mean, Gerald Gallant now is on the market. Peter Laviolette's on the market. Mike Babcock's on the market. My goodness. Um, I, I have to believe Gerald Gallant will be a hot commodity in no time whenever there's an opening again. Yeah. Well, I want to circle back to, to what you were saying about the Golden Knights specifically and Kelly McCrimmon, who's in his first year as a GM, having ascended to that spot. Um, with George McPhee moving up the corporate ladder in in Vegas after last season. But um, I'm curious about what you see, the ripple effect. Uh, We were chatting just before you started to tape this, but you know who is, is, is close with and has a great deal of respect for Gerard Gallant is Steve Iserman. And we know where the Detroit Red Wings are at. I mean, they're as you and I are chatting here today, coming off yet another woeful night pounded by the Islanders, eight to two. Um, we know that this is a team that is, you know, this is this is what we expected in some ways from this team. Um, and with Jeff Blashill, you know, who knows what what the plan is for him? But it, does this? Do you start to draw some lines with a move like this to? What could happen in the offseason for the Detroit Red Wings? I mean, is that out of the out of out of line to suggest that relationship and that connection can't be dismissed? Yeah, no. I mean, listen. I think it's well known that Steve Eisman and Gerald Gallant go way back to their playing days and have remained, you know, I think uh, good friends ever since. That doesn't necessarily always mean that you want to hire your friend. Sometimes some people want to separate friendship from from business, but. There's no question. I think you'll hear a lot of, you know, will Detroit hire Gerald Gallant rumors. Um, and again, the disappointing part of that is that I'm not so sure Jeff Blashill is not a good coach. I mean, he's 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 got a roster that's not going to win a lot of games right now. So it'll be interesting to see what happens at the end of the year. He has an uh, an option on his contracts, guy. I think we've talked about this, where the, the Wings have to decide pretty quickly at, after the end of the year um, if they pick up the option for next year on Blashill. Um, you know, there's a couple other 
situations. I mean, the Devils, you know, have an interim coach in Alan Azredin. Uh, the Dallas Stars have an interim coach in Rick Bonus, right? Um, and now, I only mention that because Jim Neal, of course, was in Detroit for all those years. But, um, you know, would Dallas be a fit for Gerald Gallant? Again, the Stars are playing some pretty amazing hockey under Rick Bonus, so that wouldn't seem to make sense, right? Um, so who knows? I, I, I mean, let's keep going around the carousel. Uh, you know, I've, I have speculated this in the past because I know it to be true, but I am pretty confident that had Claude Julien turned down the Montreal Canadiens after he was fired by the Boston Bruins uh, three years ago, that plan B for Montreal was Gerald Gallant. Um, so again, and which is not shocking because Gerald Gallant was an associate coach in, in Montreal for a year. Uh, but again, don't don't think coaching's an issue in Montreal with all those injuries. Claude Julien is, is doing a pretty good job given what's transpired there. Uh, yeah. So I don't know that his job would be in trouble right now at all, in my opinion. But yeah. so yeah. anyway, you can keep going around. And by the way, Bob Bugner is interim coach for the rest of the year in San Jose, right? <laughs> uh, I'm just benching. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it, I, it is. I, How about trading Gallant for uh, for Pete DeBoer? I'm just saying. <laughs> Well, and to go back to Vegas, such it's fascinating, and I wonder, you know, I go back to the early part of the season, and you know, your Stanley Cup pick was San Jose, and uh, that doesn't look like it's going to happen. Thanks for course. reminding me. Yeah, no, but I, I, I'm leading up to the point where my Stanley Cup pick was Vegas, and I'm wondering now if you get a share of getting that pick right if Pete DeBoer does lead the Golden Knights to a Stanley Cup. But I, I, I'm just curious. I, I got a text from an NHL coach while we were getting ready to tape today and we were talking about that golden uh, Knights lineup and you know there are some personnel issues there the back end is overloaded with left-handed shot defensemen this coach suggested that you know this is not really a Stanley Cup team unless they add some he suggested two right-hand shot uh, defensemen which will be difficult for Kelly McCrimmon to do between now and February 24th but um, that there are some there are some some quirks to that lineup, perhaps. And, you know, they are a team in a division that, yes, they are technically outside the playoffs today. And that's, you know, that's nothing to sneer at. When you're out, you're out. But they are right now at 54 points. They're tied with Winnipeg and Vancouver uh, for the two wildcard spots and are three points out of first place where the Coyotes are now in first place. But I guess what I'm wondering now, especially with, you know, the Coyotes, they've added... Taylor Hall, um, Edmonton and Calgary, possibly in buy mode between now and the trade deadline. What kind of pressure, having made the coaching move now, and not a shocking one, we'll go back to that word, what kind of pressure do you think there's on uh, is on Kelly McCrimmon then to help improve that roster for Pete DeBoer between now and February 24th? Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, it's funny because I mentioned this in a notebook earlier this week that I was curious what the Montreal Canadiens would do with Jeff Petrie. I don't think Mark Bergman wants to trade him. And at the end of the day, I don't think he will. But Jeff Petrie has a year and a half left on his deal. He's a hell, hell of a player. Like, just the perfect second pairing fit on the right side, right? Behind Shea Weber. And I think he's the type of guy Vegas needs. Like, I, I, I'm not enamored with Vegas's blue line. And I, I think it limits their ability to fully maximize their potential up front, where I love their top six. Um, what's not to love about it. 
Um, when Fleury's on his game, obviously there's no concerns there. Although, you know, he's had his ups and downs, right? I think that's fair. Um, but I think it's on the blue line where I, I'd like to see Vegas make a push and, and um, you know, add a piece. So I think that's where the pressure comes for Kelly McCrimmon, in my opinion. Um, you know, certainly the Golden Knights between George McPhee being GM and now Kelly McCrimmon have not been trying to make moves, going back to the Mark Stone blockbuster acquisition a year ago at the deadline. Uh, the Max Pacioretty deal, uh, you know, they've, they've been aggressive right out of the gate. So I don't think that's going to be an issue before February 24th, if there's a fifth. But I, I would like them to add something on the, on the back end, in my opinion. I don't know what you think. Yeah, no, I and I mean right now it's just looking at their roster. I mean Derek England, the only right-handed shot defenseman, and right. certainly, you know he's he's not a young man anymore. And so that, yeah, there's definitely I would think a pressure point there to 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 make some improvements. Um, but I do I you know again it's it, there's so much to like about this team, and uh, I it, it is going to be interesting to see whether this is the kind of wake-up call that changes, you know, just changes a team that looks to be drifting a bit. So, mm-hmm. um, so I, oh, sorry, I want to, ch- I want to switch gears because I, I used this myself earlier this week, but I, I, I was absolutely gobsmacked Sunday late afternoon, um, watching a little football as it turned out uh, to see the news that Ray Shiro had been fired as a GM of the New Jersey Devils. And I, I thought your piece the other day, in the uh, in the aftermath of the firing of Ray Shiro with Tom Fitzgerald moved in to, uh, at least temporarily into the GM spot and Martin Brodeur coming aboard as part of the the management staff there you got a chance to talk to both Marty Brodeur and to Tom Fitzgerald when the team was in Toronto and I, I just thought painted a really nice picture but I wonder where on your shock level on your shockometer where the the change of a GM in midstream uh, mm-hmm. where it fell for you. And again, it's something that doesn't happen very often. I know a year ago, well, more than a year ago now, but Ron Hextel was replaced in Philadelphia by uh, Chuck Fletcher. But And we talked then at that time just how unusual it was for a team to make that kind of move in the middle of the season. And for the Devils, mm-hmm. who are long out of it, um, I, I, I still don't quite get the timing, but I wonder what you make of it and, and maybe what kind of vibe you got from talking to both Tom and Marty. Yeah, I was really surprised. I think everyone was. I mean, uh, the interesting thing is, is more to gauge the reaction inside the organization where everyone I spoke with up and down the organization were completely blindsided, uh, which tells you something. Um, And I think from what I can gather, ownership, um, I think had decided recently they would probably make a GM change this summer or after the season anyway. And as a trade deadline is approaching, the fact they have an interim head coach, I think, I think they just realize, well, well you know, if we're going to make a change and this is the person deciding these other things, then let's just do it now. I get that part. What I don't get is, is it'd be interesting to find out when the disconnect happened because you did allow Ray Shearer to fire a coach and trade Taylor Hall. <laughs> so I, that's the part that I struggle with. And, and frankly, because of that, to some degree, I, you know, and I read your column, Scotty, um, certainly weren't shy to share your opinion in the aftermath. But I think Ray Sherrill is a really good GM. And I think, I think this was a little premature. And 
you know, I get the disappointment. And, and this is, you know, it's incredible how the term managing up now is coming up left and right with all the people I talk to in hockey between coaches and, and team executives because I've never seen, you know, it's 25 years now that, that I've covered the NHL, similar to you, and I've never felt the presence of owners in day-to-day NHL life more than we have today. And and, and listen, it probably, you can draw a straight line to the fact that teams have never been more expensive to buy. <laughs> and so... I don't blame owners for wanting to know what's going on with their little toy. But because of that, it's really interesting to see the reaction and or the interaction or the lack thereof. Or, you know, remember, Ron Hextall, part of the reasoning we got for his dismissal was that he didn't share enough, right? Um, and I think it sounds like, uh, I think Devil's ownership wanted a bit more from Ray Shiro that way too. Although I'm sure if Ray Shiro was on the podcast with us, he'd say he he felt he shared lots. So it, it's really interesting to me. And the only reason I say that is that it's clear to me uh, in chatting with, with you know with, with Tom Fitzgerald and Marty Berger, I mean, there, there's a lot of back and forth between them and with ownership every day right now as they shepherd this team through this transition phase. And I think that's going to be a big part of what Tom Fitzgerald does is really keeping his owners in the loop not just on a daily basis, Scotty, but I think two to three times a day. And that's just how I think they want it. And um, and again, it's so funny. You can really draw a parallel between what we just talked about in Vegas where Pete DeBoer is such a good coach and you're happy that he's back on the saddle. But I just don't think it was the time to fire Gerald Gallant. Well, this is how I feel here in that I think it's great that Tom Fitzgerald's getting his first shot and in, and and he's nervous and he's excited. But one of his best friends got fired, you know, so he's got a mix of emotions and all of this and you could really sense that in his voice when I met with him yesterday. So it, just a wacky week and a wacky season in the NHL right now. It's yeah. just crazy. Yeah, well, and, you know, like my, you know... I- Listen, if you own a team, you can do whatever you want, right? You can fire your coach. You can do – that's just how it is. And and I, and I completely get that. But I'm with you on this whole notion of, okay, all of a sudden, you know, did ownership in New Jersey, you know, wake up and look at the standings or discover that Taylor Hall wasn't in the lineup? Like, you've allowed Ray Shiro, who rebuilt your farm team from nothing. And I don't think people – like that was it was not a great situation he inherited in New Jersey. He's done lots of important work. He's added great pieces. Yes, it didn't work this year. Yes, the goaltending that turned out to be a mistake. The the path they went down was really gave them no chance to to take advantage of the other talent in that lineup. But you know how mm-hmm. you allow him to make a coaching change, trade your franchise player, and then you know two weeks or three weeks later decide that you you're not happy. Well, I don't know that that's the disconnect for me that has, I, and I, now it has focused a lot of attention on that team about what their direction is. And, you know, I'm with you. Listen, I hope Tom Fitzgerald knocks that out of the park. Terrific guy. Um, I think Marty Brodeur is an interesting character there given that. And as you pointed out, he'd stepped away from the game. So now he has to get up to speed you know, in a very short period of time. So that's another sort of mm-hmm. curious part of this. And that's why he's on the road trip right now. Literally, yeah. that's what he told me. Is that right. he's, you know, he did it with St. Louis, but now it's been a year and a half since he's been on, on that grind, and now he needs to do that. And, and I think it, 
you know, it, the reason I led my piece with what I did is that it was really interesting to see Marty Bruder and Tom Fitzgerald walk into the rink in Toronto together. Yeah. I don't think that was by coincidence, right? A lot of media there. Yep. And I think what they're saying is we're in this together. And you get that sense that they're really supportive of each other in this. And they've both been mentioned as potential GM candidates. I don't get the sense that's actually the job that Bruder would want. I think that his stature and, you know, his lifestyle in terms of the reason he left the AGM job in St. Louis is that he wants to spend more time at home. So I, I think that what would make more sense for him, uh, not that it's not a big job and a lot of work, but it's certainly not the same grind, would be more like the Cam Neely, Brandon Shanahan role would make, I think, more sense for for Martin Berger if that's if the devils are good with that. That's my own opinion. I mean, he didn't come out and say that, but that's my read on it. Um, and in the meantime, you know, my sense is the devil's ownership will go out through their senior management team and, and conduct a pretty extended search while having Tom Fitzgerald in mind. I do think they're going to talk to a lot of GM candidates. Well, I'm going to ask you about something that actually happened on the ice. So, <laughs> but I will say this, yeah. I think that, that we've talked about the domino effect with, you know, all of a sudden the, the coaching market, there's a glut of terrific coaches on the market. It's just the way the league has gone this year and all the stuff that's happened. And, you know, whether it's Peter Laviolette and Mike Babcock and now Gerard Gallant, and of course, both Pete DeBoer and John Hines have been fired and hired almost within the same period of time, uh, about a month, give or take. Um, but I, I will make this prediction. I think that with Ray Shiro on the market now, that this changes the dynamic in that same way for teams that have underachieved or may not like the direction they've headed or maybe looking to to change how they are built. Um, because I think Ray Shiro is going to be back in the saddle as soon as he wants to. My guess is it will be this offseason. But I think he changes that landscape just by his presence uh, on the marketplace. And the fact it happened now... I don't get it, but maybe it helps him, and it maybe is a, a, a the kind of thing that that teams around the NHL can now look forward to April and the end of the regular season and say, okay, this is this is somebody we want to talk to 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 maybe change our fortunes. So that's my thought. Well, the it. interesting thing is, I, I mean, I don't disagree with anything you just said, but it's worth remembering that last April, which is just like you know, not even a year ago. Ray Sherrill signed the, the doubles announced that Ray Sherrill signed a multi-year extension. So financially speaking, he doesn't have to be in a hurry. So it always comes down to the fact that after a while, it's sort of not, you know, it, it eats at you if you're not working, I guess, in that business. But he is taken care of financially. So he could, you're saying he could come on the podcast pretty much all the time then? That would be great. <laughs> Yeah. All right. On the ice, I will tell you something. I've been I've watched this and followed it. It's been a it's been a tremendous story because of all the juice. And I and we're talking about Zach Cassian and Matthew Kachuk and the Battle of Alberta <laughs> and the you know the the two game suspension for Zach Cassian and the War of Words. I got to tell you, I I can't I I still can't get my head around how this all unfolded. Like, I've watched it over and over again. i got to tell you, I don't like either hit, frankly, that Matthew Kachuk mm. laid on Matt Cassian. Uh, 
I did love the comments, though. If you if you don't want to get hit, don't get on the tracks or whatever Wes Matthew Kuchuk said, which was golden. But I didn't like the hits too much, and I was a little bit surprised at the two game suspension for uh, Zach Cassian. And I wonder how, when you unpack all of this, what you're left with in 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 the the wake of uh, of the whole situation. And I'm if I'm not mistaken, I think Cassian comes back just in time for a rematch with the Calgary Flames. And uh, and uh, just to add a little juice to this, the two teams, mm-hmm. as you and I speak, tied uh, in the second and third spots in the Pacific Division. Both of them played 48 games, identical records. I mean, how great is that? But I- I'm wondering, what did you make of all that? And where, where, where did you, where did you uh, stand on when unpacking the various elements involved there? Well, I love that the Battle of Alberta is alive again. I, I was disappointed in both players to some degree. Uh, disappointed. I didn't like one of the... It, not the hit that finally produced the, the final melee, but one of the earlier hits in the game that Kachuk had on Cash and I thought was dangerous um, and frankly thought probably could have been worth a game. Um, disappointed in Cashin that while I understand his need to... Uh, <laughs> to send a message to Matthew Kachuk. I don't blame him there, but how many punches does it take? And I, I, that becomes a dangerous situation when you're, you continue to be allowed to punch a guy who is not defending himself essentially, or I guess he was defending himself, but certainly wasn't a willing combatant. So I, I, you know, this sounds so silly as I like to tell people, whenever I have to try and make sense of this, I'm the guy that years ago said he was against fighting. So now you're asking me to sort of contextualize (laughs) <laughs> an element of it when I'm against the big picture. But um, I think there was a way for Cassian to send a message without going on, on and on and on and on. And I'm just going to say this, but you know, thank goodness Matthew Kachuk didn't get seriously hurt. Yeah. Um, so that part scared me a bit, but I also fully understand why Zach Cassian had to unleash because again, that one hit I didn't like near the net yeah. earlier in the game where I thought was dangerous. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't know about the whole code stuff, you know, is Kachuk supposed to fight him now when they play again? I don't know about that, all that stuff. I'll let other smarter people figure that stuff out. But, but I do love Matthew Kachuk as a player and I'd want him on my team because he's a hell of a hockey player. Um, you know, the fact that, you know, he, I mean, that power play won him the game, right? Yep. Um, he's a great agitator, but beyond that he's a great hockey player it's just you know this this is maybe not the greatest comparison but i think matthew kachuk will learn like brad marchand when he was younger that there are there are ways to channel what you're good at and make sure you don't get in trouble with it and brad marchand has learned that over the years and i think kachuk will need to go through that same sort of learning curve that brad marchand did yeah and and i got to tell you the one thing the thing that makes my blood boil about the the current landscape in the nhl is that when there is a a clean hit that how many times have we seen whether it's the recipient of the hit or a teammate who then immediately challenges the other player to fight like to me that should be if i was running department player safety which i'd never get asked to but i'm just saying if i did that would be an automatic five game suspension you don't call a penalty on the play and somebody challenges, a, you know, or goads a guy into a fight, five games. Because I, I just, I hate that part of it. But 
I'm with you. Like, I didn't... I was a bit surprised that there wasn't... A, there wasn't a penalty on, frankly, either of the hits. And then they they were predatory, and they seemed to speak to the part of the game that we're trying to curtail, right? Like, those were dangerous hits, I thought, especially the one coming around the side of the net. Mm-hmm. So I was a little bit... That's the one I was talking about. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So I, I, I was a bit curious about how it all unfolded. Um, but at the very base level, it does create something that's been missing for years and years. And when you think about those two teams, and there's lots of ups and downs, um, I, I can't imagine what it might be like to, to see a seven-game set in the first round well, any time oh, in the place. But and in the first round, oh my gosh, come on, it'd be great. And, you know, it's... I mean, we're naive maybe, and we're asking for too much, but it's like, I want... I want the hate, and I want the big hits, and I want the the physical play. I just don't want anything crossing the line. So it's like, okay, good for you, Pierre. I love that you, you know, do you, that. you know what I mean. <laughs> I get it. I know how I sound when I'm when I'm criticizing both players for what happened last Saturday night. But what can I say? It's like I I I just it's such a it's like when the Rangers play the Islanders this week. I mean, that's a rivalry, right? I, I mean, <laughs> um. It's it's good to have that in the game because you know there there are many nights where you just don't feel that in a game and um, and we've had a couple of games in a seven day span where the the rivalry certainly jumped off the page. Yeah, that's good stuff. All right, we're going to take a break in just a minute here, but the one thing I want and there are a couple of things that I want to when we come back from our our break uh, into the extended play version of the podcast, but I want to leave uh, this part with your thoughts on. Sidney Crosby comes back after missing, should have looked it up, 28 games, I think. Um, and, you know, we know that the Penguins have, you know, so they've really gutted it out in the face of, of horrific injuries up and down the lineup. But with, even, without Sidney Crosby, they've still managed to thrive. But, man, there is such a different feel around that team when Crosby comes back and absolutely lit it up like he'd never missed a beat. <laughs> um, and I'm sure if you... Uh, if, if you uh, are a podcast aficionado. I'm sure most of you are. You should give a listen to Penultimate. See, I get that. Penultimate. I love that. With Sean Gentilly, Josh Yoey, and Rob Rossi. Um, they will have more, I'm sure, on Crosby's four-point night and his return to NHL action. But what, when you see that happen, what's it, what, you know, what comes to mind for you? And, and maybe where do you, you know, I, I saw you tweet earlier today. What, what about Pittsburgh, Washington, the second round? We missed it last year. The, the the rhythm of the spring was briefly upset last year with no Penguins cap series, but maybe this spring. Yeah. Islanders fans didn't like that tweet. Yeah, no. Well, <laughs> they're very thin-skinned, I will tell you this. Yeah, My but I love Islanders fans. I love Islanders <laughs> fans. They're right. Why yeah. can't they beat Pittsburgh again? In the, of course, in, you know, yeah. They did last year. Why wouldn't they do it again? I'm Four just saying. Four games. <laughs> yeah. It'd be fun to see Penguins caps yet again, I think. But... Um, you know, Mike Sullivan better be a finalist for the Jack Adams. And, and this is tough because Barry Trotz, again, deserves to be in there. Uh, Paul Maurice, if the Jets make the playoffs, I don't know how Paul Maurice can't be. Agreed. Yep. <laughs> uh, given that blue line. Uh, you know, th- th- there's a lot of, of good examples here, but Mike Sullivan's work is, is unreal. And the way he's integrated call-ups and, and changed the dynamic of, of his lineup on a nightly basis played a long chunk without Malkin, a long chunk without Crosby, and now without Jake Gensel for the rest of the regular season and, and a bit beyond. 
that's that's really unreal and um you know they'll never fully be healthy until jake gensel comes back which what is not they'd have to get what at least to the second round we think or yeah i think it's actually yeah. closer to the conference final given the, right. the first timetable so it's they'd have yeah. to win two rounds i think basically and, and here's the and here's the interesting part if you're jim rutherford the general manager um you know i wrote this week and uh, you know other people have reported as well but he's he's certainly open to trading out galchenyuk who just hasn't been a fit and um, and you get that part, but I think it would set up a, 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 another trade on top of it, where I think, you know, I, I think he's itching to make a hockey deal and maybe bring in a, a top nine forward. Um, but the thing you got to be careful with, I guess, if you're Jim Rutherford, is there's some pretty good mojo going on on this team, right? I mean, they're finding ways to win no matter who's in the lineup. Do you necessarily have to add to that? And that's always the a tough question for GMs at this time of year. Yeah. Well, it you know, here's the thing, especially especially when they got swept by uh the Islanders last year and that was it was ugly, right? I mean, that series could have been over in 3, right? Like the Penguins were just the Islanders were just way better and it was really it was a disappointing um performance from a Penguins team and I think it sort of accelerated this narrative, well, okay, the you know, the Penguins are going the way of the Blackhawks or the Kings and, you know, their window is closed. I use my air quotes there. But with Tristan Jari now assuming the number one rule, they're going to be at the All-Star game next week in St. Louis. Crosby, Malkin, healthy, you got Latang back. John Marino has turned out to be a terrific, terrific story on the back end. Um, they're hard to play against. They get scoring up and down the lineup. I mean, maybe, maybe that window is opening again. And, you know, there's you know, certainly the Islanders, definitely Washington. you got Boston. you got a surging Tampa team. That East is full of really good teams. But I think you well, have to put— I mean, Carolina. Carolina, uh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's it's a, there's a lot of good teams. I guess my point is you can—I don't think it's—I think it is unwise now to to push Pittsburgh down that list. I think I think the way— they have played this year how they've responded to adversity and the potential for them in the spring to rise up again is is a very real one so i think that makes i think it's going to make for a terrific regardless of who they play i think it's going to make for some interesting storylines down the stretch yeah i think tampa is playing the best hockey in the east right now but uh pittsburgh isn't far behind uh, that's for sure and uh, you know, the broods are funny lately you know, I mean, luckily they, they were so brilliant forever this season that they built a little cushion. But uh, I put out a little Twitter poll there, Scotty. And, uh, <laughs> yes, I, you were the king of the Twitter polls. Of two games. Yeah, as, <laughs> as we taped this on, on Wednesday afternoon, the, the Lightning have two games in hand and they're six back of Boston for the Atlantic Division lead. Hmm. I mean, hmm. I honestly thought at one point that division lead was never in doubt. Oh, for sure. And, yeah. uh you know, obviously Tampa's won a million games since then, but and how about if you're the Leafs? All Sheldon Keefe has done is win, and like I, I don't know. Do you see any way that they could finish ahead of third in the Atlantic now? I, I guess they could. They're only four back of Tampa, but the way the Lightning are playing, yeah, no, I, I don't think so. In fact, in the extra session, I'm going to do a little word association, and we're going to. It'll involve the Leafs, it'll involve the Capitals, it'll involve some other things. So before we get there, though, we are going to take a bit of a break. <clears throat> and those of you who are listening, you should, 
um, we would hope that you would rate and subscribe to Two Man Advantage on Apple. And if you click on the show's URL, which is theathletic.com slash twomanadvantage, you'll get 40% off your subscription. And you'll be able to hear the extended version of this podcast where Pierre and I do a little word association and talk about some other pressing NHL matters. So I think you should do that. So anyway, as always, my friend, that's uh, great. Don't go away. But for this portion of the podcast, well done. I'm giving you five stars on this. (laughs) Right on, right on.